Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. Whether you are a student prepping for tests and boards or a CRNA here to earn CEUs, we are glad you've joined us. For more about us, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Core Anesthesia and online at coreanesthesia.com. Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. I'm Cole here with Tanner. And today we are actually in person for the first yeah. time. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, we always record our episodes online because we live in different locations. But today we are actually together. So this is going to be a unique experience for us just recording at the same time. So hopefully this actually sounds a little bit better for everybody that's listening. It's- today we want to do an interesting topic on ventilator modes. A couple of uh, different people have reached out to us about doing a episode on this. And while there are tons of different modes you can do with a ventilator, we're going to go through some of the main ones and talk about the differences between volume control versus pressure control, ventilation, and, and what would be the advantages or disadvantages of each of those. What are some different modes we can do in terms of waking up the patient uh, at the end of a procedure, et cetera. And so, like I said, there's a lot of different modes that you can can do, and there's slight differences between each one of those, but we kind of want to hit the the main points of each of the big ones here. First thing we're going to do before we get into the different types of modes is actually talk about the goal of what we're trying to do. And then this will make a little more sense when we talk about the specific types of modes. So the bottom line is we're trying to deliver an adequate minute ventilation to the patient. At the same time, we want to minimize any kind of injuries that could occur by overinflating or inflating too harshly, or if the patient has some sort of obstruction, giving too high of a pressure or giving too high of a volume that would overinflate their lungs. When we talk about minute ventilation, it's important to remember minute ventilation is simply just your respiratory rate times your tidal volume. And so you can adjust your minute ventilation by either changing your tidal volume number or changing the respiratory rate. The different modes that we're going to talk about, there's different things that we can change. And so there's some that we're going to talk specifically about the tidal volume. That's going to be the thing that we are going to manipulate. The other ones we'll talk about uh, actually the kind of pressure that we're going to be giving. Uh, you can talk about the inflatory and expiratory ratio. Sometimes this is important with somebody who's a copd uh, You can obviously change your respiratory rate. PEEP is something that you'll use often to make sure to keep those alveoli expanded and uh, keep those open while they're under a general anesthetic. The gases that we give are going to cause some some degree of atelectasis as well as uh, just having them on the 100% oxygen at different points. And so anytime you're giving an anesthetic, you're going to have some degree of atelectasis. And so uh, PEEP is going to be very helpful in keeping those alveoli open. Uh, we can also change the flow, and then there's also just, uh, we'll get into some other specific characteristics as we talk through the different modes. The main two things that we're going to talk about when we're talking about these different ones, and we're just going to talk about kind of different variables on these different modes, but first of all, think about volume versus pressure. So volume control ventilation is the idea that the ventilator is going to push a preset volume into the patient. And the ventilator will give this volume regardless of the pressure inside the lungs. So in order to understand this, we really need to talk about the idea of compliance. So compliance is the idea that if you have a container, this container will be able to accept more volume with limited change in the pressure inside that container. So think of the lungs as a balloon that you're trying to fill up. And the more compliant the balloon is, the easier it is to put volume into it. However, if this balloon already has a lot of pressure in it, or it's less compliant, then it'll be difficult to push that same volume of air into the balloon. And so if the lungs have a normal compliance, then the ventilator should be able to continue to push these preset volumes into the patient with a limited change in the amount of pressure. But if the lungs are less compliant, then that same volume I put into those lungs 
will cause the pressure inside those lungs to go a lot higher and skyrocket compared to if you had a, a healthy lung picture. So during this volume control ventilation, we're really going to be trying to keep an eye on what is your pressures inside your lungs with each breath. And this can change throughout the procedure because if you're manipulating things such as the position of the patient, let's say you start the patient in supine position and you have them at a tidal volume of 450 milliliters of breath and their peak pressure may be 20 and you put them in Trendelenburg position and you're going to be doing a laparoscopic procedure. Well, one, you're going to insufflate the abdomen and then two, you're going to put them in Trendelenburg position. And so they're going to have a lot of pressure pushing on the bottom part of those lungs that will cause the compliance to decrease. And so your pressures may skyrocket then up to 35 or 40 or even 45 for that same preset volume of 450. So you have to keep a really close eye on what your pressure is if you have them on a volume control mode. Another thing during this volume control ventilation that I want to talk about is what inspiratory flow is, is the idea of the flow going through the ventilator will be the same throughout the entire inspiratory cycle. So keep that in mind here that you can manipulate this with other modes, but for the most part during volume control ventilation, you're going to have a constant inspiratory flow throughout the entire inspiratory cycle, but not the expiratory. When we think about the different ways that we can ventilate the patients again at the top here, we're kind of talking from big picture down. And so Cole just talked about the volume control. Now let's talk about the pressure control ventilation. So this is going to deliver a preset inspiratory pressure. So this is going to be based on a time interval, and then you will be controlling the pressure. So like Cole mentioned, when we talk about the insufflation or even Trendelenburg positioning or things like that, where you have to really keep an eye on that peak pressure, this is where you may change to a pressure-controlled ventilation because now you're not going to allow it to go over that pressure that you preset. And again, that's over a given amount of time. The volume is going to be the variable here then. So since you're giving the preset pressure, the volume is what is going to change depending on the different factors that are affecting the volume inside the patient's lungs. So if compliance of the lungs are really low, so if you have really stiff lungs or you have really high airway resistance, then you're going to hit this pressure limit really quickly. And so only a small tidal volume is actually what's going to be given to the patient. On the flip side, if you have somebody who has really, really good compliance, or think of them if they're in like reverse Trendelenburg where everything is allowed to open up, or even if you're in prone positioning, many times you can see actually better compliance in the lungs with prone positioning you could be giving the patient huge tidal volume. So you could have a huge minute ventilation. You could be driving their end tidal way down because you're just giving them such big tidal volume. So it's goes on both sides of the coin here. If you're going to have somebody with good compliance or bad compliance, the volume is going to change based on the pressure limit for each breath. So like Cole mentioned on volume control, your inspiratory flow is going to be set and it's going to be the same every single time. This is not the case with your pressure control. So the ventilator will automatically change inspiratory flow with each breath. So the ventilator is set up to try to make sure the patient gets the breath over the same inspiratory time. So again, depending on the type of pressure that it is encountering, it's going to adjust that inspiratory flow just so that the patient isn't taking uh, irregular breaths. Like I mentioned, pressure control can be helpful for the patient for many different reasons. But again, if you have something where they have high airway pressures, this is mainly where you're going to think about switching over to a pressure control. It's also going to maximize the amount of volume they can get because it's going to decrease your risk of barotrauma. So uh, 
I think initially you're really, really nervous with how you inflate the lungs. At least I was when I first started out. And when I was bagging the patient, I was just nervous because you hear barotrauma, barotrauma, barotrauma. And, and honestly, if you, if you have them take a breath before you go to sleep, many times they're pulling over a thousand tidal volumes when they're taking those large breaths before they go off to sleep. So I think the risk of barotrauma could be slightly less than, you know, you you are geared to think their, their lungs can expand drastically. The, the thing is that they're causing their lungs to expand at that point compared to us pushing air in. And so this is where uh, if you have a really tight monitor on that pressure, obviously pressure control is going to only allow that certain amount of pressure. Then again, you're just safeguarding against barotrauma. So we really important people that have uh, really damaged lungs. Um, so it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. Another advantage of your pressure control ventilation is if you don't have a cuff on the ET tube, and so you have leaks coming around that uh, where that cuff usually would be, then the pressure control is going to be able to compensate for that. So if you do have that slight leak around where that cuff usually would be, this is where that pressure support is going to give you uh, better volume simply because it's going to keep trying to achieve that pressure. Again, we kind of touched on this already, but the disadvantage of using pressure control ventilation is going to be if you have someone who has high pressures or, or already has obstructive disease or has really bad compliance, whether that's positioning or if that's physiologic, the pressure control is not going to give large tidal volumes. It's not going to go over that set pressure. And so you could have a situation where you're not giving adequate tidal volumes. You could have a hypoxic picture if you're not ventilating appropriately. So this is something to keep in mind that even though you're trying to protect the lungs, ultimately you need to oxygenate, you need to ventilate. And so this is something that you need to pay attention to if the patient is not getting adequate tidal volume. Sometimes, you know, if they're in a really long robot case and they're completely on their head for hours and hours and hours, and they already maybe have uh, increased body habitus, this is something that you're just going to Sometimes you kind of have to live with a smaller tidal volume than you usually would like, or you have to live with higher pressures than you usually would like. Um, so again, this is just something that you need to keep an eye on. So in review, those are the two main categories that we can do ventilator-wise. So you have volume control mode where the ventilator sets a predetermined volume, and it will give that volume regardless of what pressure you have. So the biggest risk there is having that barotrauma that you would cause the lungs that are non-compliant to have a higher pressure to get that volume in there. Whereas if you do a pressure control ventilation, you can fluctuate on the amount of volume that you give until you reach a certain pressure. And so again, you just have to keep in mind when you're changing these positions uh, at different points in the procedure and different things are happening, you really have to be mindful of which variable is changing, whether you're in the pressure control mode, which would be the volume changing, or if you're in the volume control mode, then your pressure would change. You just got to keep a close eye on that to, to make sure you're not causing any damage to the patient. The CRNA team at Memorial Health is growing. Our team performs more than 30,000 surgeries annually and offers a variety of cases from general, OB, GI, ortho, cardiac, vascular, and more. Memorial has a 24-7 OR with flexible scheduling and 8, 10, or 12-hour shift options. Our CRNAs receive PTO and sick time alongside competitive salaries, relocation assistance, and a sign-on bonus of up to $250,000. We hire CRNAs as early as their second year in school and can offer financial assistance to complete your program. Learn for yourself why Memorial means more. Text CRNA to 217 588 Five six two seven to speak with a recruiter. Underneath these, though, there are ventilator sub modes, if you will, that we'll call it. 
that we kind of want to go through. The first one we want to talk about is pressure control ventilation with volume guarantee, also known as PCV VG. This is probably the main ventilator mode that we use in the majority of our sites that we do clinical at. And what this is, it combines the benefits of both the pressure control and the volume control ventilation. So what you do is it'll set a minimum volume that you want the patient to receive along with whatever respiratory rate you want them to receive it at. And the ventilator is then going to adapt with each breath. I think if I'm not mistaken, it averages the last three breaths prior to the next breath. And it adapts with those three breaths to give the volume that you want. So let's say I set it 450 milliliters. It's going to try to give me that 450 volume by using the least amount of pressure to get that given volume. And it kind of morphs together data collection, those previous couple breaths to determine how much manipulation of the inspiratory flow and the pattern of the breathing to, to limit that pressure. So it's kind of a, a smarter ventilator mode that combines the pressure control and the volume control. So the nice thing is then you don't have to worry as much about barotrauma with this as much as you would if you were simply doing a volume control ventilation. At the same time, then you also don't have to worry about the lungs getting a drastically different amount of volume when the patient's position is changed. And so this is very nice from both sides of, of the picture. Another vent mode that we like to use is controlled mandatory ventilation. For the fact that this is controlled mandatory, that means that this mode is going to deliver that preset breath at whatever length you set it to be at and whatever rate you set it to be at, regardless of what the patient is doing underneath those breaths. So let's say you have it set to deliver the breath over a second and a half, and you're going to set it at 12 breaths a minute, and the volume is 500. What's going to happen is the ventilator, no matter what the patient's doing, let's say the patient is light and they're starting to, to breathe underneath this, the ventilator will force that breath at that exact one and a half seconds, that exact tidal volume of 500, and that rate of 12 every single time, regardless of when the patient starts to initiate a breath. And so this is when you can have a lot of um, bucking the vent, if you will, because the patient may be starting to take in their short breath as the ventilator is exhaling for them, and they're just asynchronous with the ventilator. So this mode then is best to be used. The patient is either A, paralyzed, or they're just completely apneic, and you're not worried about them being stimulated to breathe because you do not want them fighting the vent. So another one is assist control ventilation, and this is the same as controlled mandatory ventilation, but if the patient starts to take a breath in between the mandatory ventilations, then the ventilator is not going to fight the patient, but rather it's just going to give a full predetermined volume. So if the patient starts to breathe over the rate, for the example I said before, was 12, so if you set the rate at 12 and they start to breathe over that, then the ventilator is going to all of a sudden give them the full predetermined volume for each initiated breath that they take. And then you might be at risk here of having them hyperventilate due to the minute ventilation being increased because they're still going to get that full 500 tidal volume that you set. Even though they're just barely starting to take a, a small breath, the ventilator is going to register that and give them a full uh, 500 tidal volume breath. So the last one I want to talk about in this area is synchronized intermittent mandatory ventilation. So this is SIMV. This is the same as the two previous modes. So the assist control and then the control mandatory ventilation. But when the patient tries to take a breath on their own, the ventilator then adjusts the next breath to coordinate better with the patient's breathing pattern. So rather than just blasting the patient with the full set volume when they try to initiate their breath, like the assist control ventilation mode does, this simply just lets the patient breathe and then doesn't try to start another breath while the patient is in the middle of their own breath. So that way you don't have the bucking. 
but it doesn't just give them that full predetermined volume. So you're not quite as risk of having them hyperventilate because that ventilation won't be quite as increased. So rather than give them that full breath when they do initiate it, it basically gives them a pressure support. So it augments their breath, but doesn't give them that full breath. So AKA with this mode, the more breaths the patient takes, the ventilator will let the patient breathe on their own as long as they're reaching their minimum required minute ventilation. If they're not, then it will kind of assist them more and, and give them those bigger tidal volume breaths, but it allows for better synchrony, at least from my standpoint. So if I'm doing a case where I don't want the patient completely relaxed, but I also don't want them bucking the vent, I like to put them on SIMV, PCVVG. And so I know it's a lot of letters, but basically I like to use SIMV, PCVVG when I'm doing cases where I don't have them completely relaxed, but I don't, so I don't want them bucking the vent, but I also want them on that PCVVG mode to kind of maximize those advantages of both the pressure mode and uh, volume control mode. One last thing that we're going to talk about that's kind of still in the same vein is that pressure support ventilation or PSV Pro. This is something that is seemingly more and more popular, and it just depends what kind of ventilator, what kind of anesthesia machine you're using. Honestly, uh, that goes for all of these different modes. You can work at a place that literally just has pressure control, volume control, and manual, or you can have these anesthesia machines that have literally every vent mode under the sun. But this PSC Pro is pretty nice. And where we typically like to use it is often at the end of a case, or you can actually use it if you're having them uh, spontaneously breathe on like an LMA or something like that. And if you want to try to assist some of their breaths, but basically what this does is every time the patient tries to breathe, every time they have a spontaneous breath, it's going to help with the preset pressure. So your volume is going to be variable. All we're doing is every time the ventilator sees the patient try to initiate, we're going to give a preset pressure and then that will give them again, however much volume um, they're going to get. So there's a few things that we can change. One thing we can change is obviously the pressure that we're giving them. So if a patient is, is still pretty weak or uh, heavily narcotized or uh, isn't really breathing that strongly, we can give more pressure to give better volume. Or what we can do is change the trigger. And so the trigger is basically how much work the patient has to do before the ventilator will sense that. And so think of this kind of like a pacemaker where you're raising or, or lowering what the uh, device can actually see or what it's actually noticing as far as like an intrinsic beat or something like that. It's very similar with this where the ventilator is we can change the trigger and, and so we can raise the trigger and that's basically raising the fence and it's not going to see any kind of breath unless it's a significant breath or we could lower the trigger and by doing that any basically whiff of a breath it's going to see that and then boom give the preset pressure. So the trigger is something that we can change up or down and sometimes people will say that you shouldn't change this and this is kind of a common thing that I've heard in, in clinical they want the patient to really work for it. They don't want to change the trigger. They want to be sure the patient is back breathing. Obviously, you wouldn't want to extubate somebody on a low trigger. From my training, you've, you shouldn't really extubate somebody on PSE Pro, period. But again, that could be another conversation. But the, the idea with if you have a low trigger, the patient could be still pretty weak and the ventilator is just really sensing these small breaths and giving them volumes. And so you need to make sure if you do lower that trigger, you need to keep building them up and going higher and higher in your trigger. Usually if they're pulling out a trigger of two, then they're probably good to switch over to manual ventilation. The other time that is nice to use this, honestly, is when you are trying to breathe gas off. Say they're taking fairly good tidal volumes by themselves if you're on manual and they are taking, you know, like 350 tidal volumes. 
you might be at the point where you could extubate as far as the volumes go. But if you're trying to get all that gas off, sometimes leaving them on PSV Pro a little bit longer actually just helps give them bigger volumes, helps exchange more gas. And so you can get that gas off quicker, doing nothing to try to support their breathing. Really, you're, you're happy with their tidal volumes. You're just simply trying to give them a bigger minute ventilation to help get that gas off faster. Sometimes it's kind of a nice tool to use there at the end. The other thing with the PSV Pro is the Pro mode. So if the ventilator will watch for apnea and this will be a set time. And so if the patient does not breathe, then it will switch back over to SIMV. So you can have a backup rate with a respiratory rate if the patient is apneic. And so sometimes you will be busy or at the end of the case and you won't notice it, but you look over and you think, hey, my patient might be you know, breathing pretty well. And, and really it's the SIMV mode set it, giving them a preset rate. You didn't realize that they were apneic and it switched over. So just keep an eye on that. If it is the PSV Pro, it does switch over if they're apneic for a period of time. So now let's talk about CPAP versus BiPAP. And this is something that I was always so confused on in the ICU. If they said that the patient was getting BiPAP or CPAP, I was like, well, that's a triangle mask that's going to be strapped to their face and it's going to be giving them some pressure, but I never really was too keen on what the difference between CPAP or BiPAP was, but let's dive into this. So CPAP, you might imagine is continuous positive airway pressure. So it's going to give a continual pressure throughout the entire respiration. So when they're breathing in, when they're breathing out, we're giving a continuous positive pressure. That's CPAP. Uh, This is used during inspiration, like a pressure support, but then when they're expiring, it's also going to uh, keep giving that pressure. So you can almost think of this as like a peep where it's still giving some pressure to keep those alveoli open. The BiPAP is a biphasic positive airway pressure. So this is going to provide inspiratory pressure support during uh, spontaneous breath, and then it will change and give a different pressure during expiration to keep the alveoli open. So it's going to be Pretty similar to a CPAP, but again, this is going to have two different pressures, BiPAP instead of CPAP, the continuous positive airway pressure. Both are good at, um, like I would think from the ICU, if you had somebody with a pulmonary edema where you're really trying to uh, give positive pressure and try to kind of flush that fluid out from the alveoli, this is something you'd see frequently, you'd have them on CPAP. Again, this is just the slight difference is that the pressure is going to change with the BiPAP, it's going to be the same pressure with the CPAP. And so again, as I said, there's a lot of different ones we can talk about. And we just want to talk about one more here before we wrap this discussion up. And this is just the idea of manipulating your IDE ratio. So IDE ratio is your inspiratory to expiratory ratio. Normally, the IDE ratio is one to two. So this means that there's twice as much time spent in the expiration phase compared to the inspiration. So let's just talk about this in terms of a minute. So if our ratio is one to two, that means for every one second I spend in inspiration, I'm going to spend two seconds in expiration. And so you can basically figure out then if you're breathing, I don't know, 12 times a minute, you may have then only one part to every three parts in inspiration and two parts to every three parts in expiration. And you can manipulate this in terms of trying to manipulate your CO2 and how much time the patient has to blow off that CO2 in the expiration time, as well as even in the inspiration time, if you want them to take a quicker inspiratory breath, you can set that inspiratory ratio to even lower. If you want them to have a longer inspiration time, you can set that first number to even higher. And again, so you can kind of manipulate this. And I would really encourage you to to do that. Just make slight changes during your case and see how that 
that changes your pressure, CO that changes your CO2 levels, et cetera. So what would be one example when you would want to manipulate this? So if you have a patient with severe asthma, or as Tanner mentioned earlier, like a COPD picture, you can increase the expiration phase. So you can maybe make it to a one to three ratio. And this will give you a longer expiration time and give the patient a longer time to exhale that gas. So what's a ventilator mode that we can do that really switches around with these things? And this is the inverse ratio ventilation. So IRV. And I've actually never used this ventilation in a case before, but from what I've been reading about it, this switches the IDE ratio backwards, making the inspiration the longer one than the expiration. So this would be a two to one rather than a one to two. And this is used more in patients that have an ARDS-like picture, and it requires the patient to be completely, completely paralyzed and sedated. So we're not doing this at all if we have any inkling that the patient would be able to wake up, remember anything, et cetera. And so this allows for lower peak airway pressures. So the main reason we do this is to have these peak airway pressures be lower and it improves the oxygenation level. But at the same time here, uh, it will decrease the venous return in the cardiac output. So you got to keep that in mind as you're doing this ventilator mode. So what you can be at risk for is building up CO2. And this should make sense because we're doing less expiration time and a longer inspiration time. So then we're not having as much time for the patient to expire all that CO2. And so that can build up in the body. And this can cause an auto peep picture where you have this breast stacking picture. And so if you have ever seen that before in the OR, it's where you start to have with each subsequent breath, you can watch your end title get higher and higher and higher. And this is because you're, you're not giving the, the patient enough time to blow off that CO2. And so especially here, when you're switching this, this ratio around and making that expiratory time less, you can, it makes sense then that we're very at risk for having this auto peep and breath stacking occur. So hopefully this was a good synopsis of some of the different ventilator modes that we can do. Again, there's so many with slight differences in them. But again, these are the, the main ones. And I would really encourage you to try to understand what types of scenarios that you would want to use one over the other. Um, discuss this with different CRNAs that you're with, preceptors, the doctors that you're with. Uh, I've learned a lot just from asking questions about different ventilator modes and just manipulating with things. If you have somebody who's okay with you making slight changes, make slight changes and see how that affects your pressures, how that affects your volumes, how it affects your CO2 level. The more that we can learn from these slight manipulations, the better you'll be able to handle different changes that the patient has from a variable standpoint, whether that be pressure, CO2, et cetera. And you can make these slight changes to, to correct those in the future. So I really do encourage you to, to try to ask those questions and, and make some slight changes and kind of experiment around a, bit, a little bit with it. 